This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion, addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at standupwithatruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in. We've got so much to catch up on today. Um, first, I promised you um, we were going to let you know about those states that I mentioned last week. We got, finally have a list. We have a list. Um, 41 from people have been donating to this podcast from 41 different states, and that is much higher than I thought. And more are listening in other states, by the way. But rather than mention all the states where people are listening and we received a donation from, it's easier to mention the ones that have not, <laughs> the ones that there is either no one listening or we have not received a donation from. And this is just fun for me to do because I get this, it right in front of me and go, wow, that's fascinating to see who's listening and people that are um, listening online or downloading the podcast from all across the country and in uh, several different countries. But I want to mention um, Connecticut. Do you know anybody in Connecticut? <laughs> Call them out. No, we probably we may not have a listener in Connecticut. So um, how about Hawaii? Very, very deep blue state. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there, you know, might not be anybody listening from Hawaii. But here's one that surprises me. Kansas. Come on. We're not in Kansas anymore. Give me a break. Kansas is a conservative state. I know there are Christians there, and I know someone in Kansas has to know about the podcast. Uh, so send in your $10 donation. Get on the map. I'm kidding. Um, Louisiana. Maine, not surprising. Maryland, not surprising. So those are states where we have not received any donations from. Uh-oh, there's a couple more. Rhode Island, no surprise. Puerto Rico. Um, Utah, that's kind of surprising. It's more of a conservative state, but probably less Christian. Um, West Virginia and Wyoming. So what's up with the Y states? Come on, guys. I know there's a few listeners there. You know, chip in now. I'm kidding. Actually, I'm not kidding. You know, it would be great to have every someone from every state in the country donate to Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Okay, so I did get that out of my system. You know, we had to start things on a light note because the topic today is anything but light. And I want to mention a book that I, I have been going through that's really, for me, overwhelming because it's true and, and the media is so complicit in this. It makes me so angry. There's a book that came out from my Children's Health Defense, um, forward by Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and um, it's called Cause Unknown, The Epidemic of Sudden Deaths in 2021 and 2022 by Edward Dowd. This is literally heavy, friends. Um, it shows articles, news clippings, and pictures of young people, many of them athletes, documented who died uh, in the middle of a game or at practice <coughs> or at school or just different things, some in their sleep after having been shot with the injection, with the, the vax. Um, we're going to talk about that with our special guest today, Scott Shera. We welcome him back. You can go to his website, OurAmazingGrace.net. You can get all you need to know and get up to speed at OurAmazingGrace.net. But since he's uh, been busy, 
The last time we had him on, I think, was September. He uh, was here with Vera Sharav, Holocaust survivor. And I, before we get into some of these recent developments, um, uh, doctors requesting lethal injection drugs to help treat uh, COVID patients, um, so much more. Um, Scott, welcome back to the podcast, brother. Good to have you in studio. Uh, it's phenomenal to be here. As we were talking just briefly, I mean, yeah. you guys helped me get started or helped our whole campaign get started way back in December yep. of 21. So thank you. We are known for launching troublemakers here. <laughs> um, okay, so a lot of heavy information to talk about, Scott. But there are a lot of new listeners, and many of them don't know your name. For those... What happened to your daughter? What have you learned? And then we'll talk about recent developments and get caught up. So our daughter, Grace, she had Down syndrome. She was 19 years old when she was taken away from us on October 13th of 2021. So her last day on earth was October of 2000, in October of 2021. Mm-hmm. We took her to the hospital, uh, to the emergency room, first to urgent care with symptoms related to what we believed was COVID. She had oxygen saturation in the high 80s, and we were led to believe that that would require a hospital stay, and it made sense. Mm -hmm. Get her in the hospital. The emergency room physician said, let's get Grace in the hospital for three, four days on oxygen and a steroid, and she'll be fine. And so that made sense. We did that. Ultimately, you fast forward to October 13th, which was seven days later, and what we learned in going through the records is Grace was first on a sedation med called Presidex for four and a half days. That med is only supposed to be used for 24 hours, according to the package insert. The package wow. insert specifically calls out if you use that med for more than 24 hours, it causes acute respiratory failure. And that is the first cause of death listed on Grace's death certificate. So the hospital directly caused the first cause of death, and they didn't lie about it. I, did, I, I didn't remember that. That it's only supposed to be used for 24 hours. Yeah. Four days, you said? Four and a half she was, days. Four and a half yeah. days she was on it. What? Okay, what else? And then <clears throat> after, so the second cause of death listed was COVID-19 pneumonia, and nothing could be further from the truth. What they did in addition to the Presidex is they combined the Presidex with lorazepam and morphine in a 29-minute window. And as we have drilled down that specific med combination, which we're still doing today, I just received some emails from an expert this morning. And it is such an egregious combination. That it's no, lethal. It's lethal. Yes. Early on, an intensivist wrote me and said, the meds killed your daughter. Many people have, have, that are experts have already commented on this. So when, when we get into the deeper discussion, I want you to frame this, con, this combination of meds in the euthanasia agenda because that really is our topic today. Mm. So that combination of meds is the true second cause of death for taking for Grace's last day. And the third cause, which is really the most egregious cause, is the doctor put an illegal do not resuscitate order on Grace the morning of her last day. That morning started out with a call from the doctor telling us that Grace had such a good day yesterday, we should work on nutrition. And 11 and a half hours later, she was dead. Wow. Well, it's hard, to, it's hard to grasp. The DNR situation, the reason I say it's the most egregious is not only was it illegal that he did it, but we have subsequently received a letter that was gotten to us by an investigative reporter from the Department of Professional uh, Services in Wisconsin, which is the organization 
that monitors and regulates the doctors and nurses in Wisconsin, and they wrote on December 5th that a DNR is not required in a hospital setting like Grace was in. So the DNR statute, they're claiming the DNR statute, which is statute 154, doesn't even apply, that doctors can unilaterally put DNRs on people whenever they choose. Wow. So watch out. That's a that's a huge deal. And Did, now I want to make sure people understand that cuz this is you were it was mind-boggling for you when uh, she started having those last minute complications in the was it you or was it Jess in the hospital room saying, please help her? And the nurses stood back because Grace was put on a DNR, do not resuscitate. But you, the family, did not ask for that. But because she was listed as DNR, the nurses didn't do anything. So was it Jess? Were, were you in the room at the time? So Jess was in the room. She called Cindy and I. Your I daughter. Been, right. I was taken out by an armed guard three days earlier. That's why Jess was there. Cindy had had COVID, so she couldn't be there. So now Jess is there. After they gave Grace the morphine at 6.15 in the evening, Grace started to get cold. Jessica tried to get the nurses in. They refused to come in the room. The package insert for morphine not only says to not combine those drugs, but you're supposed to keep the reversal drug bedside and monitor the patient. So reversal drug, what is that? There's a reversal drug that reverses the impact of morphine if you have a reaction to it. And it's supposed to be kept bedside because it's common. So obviously Grace had quite a reaction to it. Mm -hmm. But you can see if why didn't they have that there and why weren't they monitoring her? And it, it's pretty clear in our mind the why. You can speculate on your own. But right. the the reality then is Jess called us as Grace was getting cold. She couldn't get the nurses in, and she called us panicking at 720. And we, <clears throat> Cindy and I screamed to save our daughter. They refused to come in, saying she's DNR. That's when we learned she's DNR. The DNR we found in the records was after going through the records. And wow. we screamed back, she's not DNR. Wow. They refused to come in. And there was an armed guard posted outside the room. So, I mean, this story is its so egregious, and it's led to a, a lot of digging and that's how I've discovered the euthanasia agenda. So, Scott, let's let's. Uh, I don't want to say speculate for a minute. So, Grace was in the hospital for about a week. W- was the hospital busy? Did they need the the bed? Did they need the room? Um, there's just diff- so many different variables. There's the hospital protocol, which um, either they had killed a lot of people on purpose, or just you know they weren't treating people and giving them what they needed because a lot of people died on ventilators. And we know all that now, sadly, tw- hindsight is twenty twenty. But do you think that's part of this issue here because the hospital was busy? I don't remember if we specifically mentioned that they maybe they needed the bed. And, I, and that goes into the money factor. We talked about this on a past podcast as well, how much hospitals got at the time for every uh, COVID patient, every person that was put on a ventilator, every person that died with COVID as the cause. It, correct me if I'm wrong. Every one of those things added some money to that hospital from the government, correct? It, it did. And I dug into that after after Grace's <clears throat> passing. I had no idea about the money trail and I dug into it uh, a lot. And I mm-hmm. found out that for instance, with a ventilator, and this really, I think, is is the true uh, motive. So this is my personal belief is the, the ventilator is the true motive behind Grace's death being on October 13th. So a ventilator in the COVID era, which we're still in, by the way, because the public <laughs> health emergency was just re-upped on January 11th. Yeah. 
But amazing. It, the hospital receives approximately $300,000 if the patient or their family approves a ventilator. So the morning of Grace's last day, the doctor, I said, he, he had said she had such a good day, we should work on nutrition. Well, the purpose of the call was not that. The yeah. purpose of the call was to ask us for the fifth time, would you approve a pre-approval for putting Grace on a ventilator just in case? So they framed this conversation that these type of things tend to happen in the middle of the night when we can't get a hold of the family. So mm -hmm. we want your pre-approval just in case. And so we had researched ventilators while Grace was in the hospital, yeah. realized, I mean, a ventilator is never a tool that should be used with COVID. And so we were not going to do that. So when we said Gosh. no, it, it, I believe it set a series of actions in motion to end Grace's they life flagged that you. day. And I, there's, there's a lot of evidence pointing to that, but the one thing that you asked about the hospital capacity, mm -hmm. I was able to find the, the hospital was at max capacity that day, and so was the emergency room. So were they, did they need to turn the bed? I mean, you can, that's an open question. Yeah. I obviously am speculating. Connect the dots. Um, we've heard, we've read a lot now looking back, not by the media, but by honest journalists and people that really wanted to get the information out to the public as a warning and as something hopefully we will learn from. And that's, um, boy, that, that's something that's scary that kind of brings me to Vera Sharav and her story because she was with you last time we had you on. Um, one of the most dangerous things is that, you know, we don't learn from history. And so tell us, Scott, first about, about her new, um, is it a documentary? It is. It's a yes. five-part documentary. It was all released last week, one one part a day, all over the over the week, Monday through Friday. We have it the all of it posted mm -hmm. on Grace's website. So right on the front page, there's a a spot for the things that are related to the Holocaust, and we have that entire documentary posted on her okay. website now. And what I want to talk about briefly to get into this this whole euthanasia agenda is how it got started in. Nazi Germany, because the parallel is here. So it was called the T4 program. You know, people are familiar with the Jews being exterminated, but yep. they don't know how it started. This started nine years earlier with the T4 program, which... What year are we talking about? This is in the early 30s. Okay. And <clears throat> I think it was 1933. The, in the T4 program, parents were encouraged to take their disabled and mentally challenged children into a hospital that they would get better care. And in fact, they were murdered. And what happened is as that got exposed, those murders got exposed to the public, then it went underground. So the government in that case gave the individual doctors and nurses the authority to euthanize people that didn't fit. Mm -hmm. And Grace is part of the T4 program that's being implemented today. Mm -hmm. And Vera's series goes through parallel after parallel from Nazi Germany to today, and we are experiencing a worldwide Holocaust, and yep. Grace Grace was a casualty in this current yep. battle. What is it called, Scott? It's um, called Never Again Is Now Global. Never Again Is Now Global. So look up that Never Again Is Now Global. Okay, Scott, you've got a podcast as well, and then I've got some comments on um, the 1930s and what was happening in America even before the 1930s that actually encouraged 
those who would go down that path in Nazi Germany. So what? how about your podcast? And by the way, thank you for having me on in December. Yeah. That was fun. You were barely able to talk, and yeah. you still fought through that thing. So tell us about your podcast. Uh, when did it start? What's it called? And, and uh, who have you had on? So it's called Deprogramming with Grace's Dad. And the reason it's called that is because the single most important thing Grace's, Grace's death has taught me is how programmed <laughs> I have been, and, and hmm. the process of deprogramming yourself is, it's a big deal, and that's why I had, I had you on, is because there's a lot of deprogramming that needs to happen within the church, Boy, that's and sure. you did a great job when you were on. So I've <laughs> had uh, a lot of different guests. We had uh, Mickey Willis on, uh, Carrie Madej, uh, I had Dr. Artis on, of course you were on, uh, Matt Truella, uh, Stu Peters is coming on this week. Awesome. Uh, so it's Wow. It's been Great. wonderful. I've met so many neat people, and it's been it's been quite a gift to be able yeah. to to be able to do this. Now, do you do this weekly? Once a week. Okay, yes. once a week podcast, and they can get that at ouramazinggrace.net or somewhere else. Yep, there's a, a tab that it's called deprogramming, and so you can go on that tab. And we have our own channel then on Rumble where everything is posted. Rumble. Okay, look up Scott Shera. And uh, are you under Scott Shera on Rumble? It's or under Deprogramming, Deprogramming with, Grace's with Grace's Dad on Rumble because a lot of people have you – know, they might still be on YouTube, but they're doing that backup thing with Rumble. Okay, so Scott, let's bring, back, bring it back to today. <clears throat> and what's happening? First, I want to share a little bit about um, – the Bible describes people such as those who would want to take life. You know, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy – Jesus said in John chapter 10. But he said, I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. The Bible describes wicked people who are just want to do, you know, the devil's business as in Jeremiah 4.22, it calls them skillful at doing evil. Or in Romans 1, chapter 1, verse 30, it says, or people who find ways to do evil. But we know that there's nothing new under the sun. We know that the heart of man is wicked beyond cure. Only Jesus and God can cure the human heart, actually change the heart uh, from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. But um, in the 1920s, that's when Margaret Sanger, founder of Planned Parenthood, got her abortion business going. Her first clinic was in uh, Harlem in a black uh, inner-city neighborhood. Um, she is known, she was known as, at the time, um, in her circles, as a racist, eugenicist, uh, socialist, atheist, uh, radical feminist. And um, she wrote, the Birth Control Review was one of her publications. And there was a, a man named Ernst Rudin, who Vera Shirov, last time she was on the podcast, she commented about him, uh, one of Hitler's top um, eugenicist, sterilization experts, a psychiatrist, whatever his label was. But he actually wrote for Margaret Sanger's Birth Control Review in the 1920s. The 20s, the birth control movement in America was starting as population control. They were focused on blacks, minorities in America. But that encouraged them in Germany. At the Nuremberg trials, there was at least one man, if not more, who said they Hitler's, you know, Germany, they were inspired by the eugenics and birth control movement in America. They may have said population control or whatever, but they were inspired by what we were doing here. And now abortion is funded by our tax dollars. Planned Parenthood is a booming 
business. I don't care. Yes, it's, it's great that Roe v. Wade was overturned. Abortion is still rampant. And euthanasia is legal in, I believe, five states, at least in America. So here's where we are today. So there's the connection. We can't look down our noses at Nazi Germany when we have had a worse Holocaust when it comes to abortion. So, Scott, I just want to set that up and now take us into your recent findings and what you wanted to share today. Where are we going to start? Yeah, people really have no concept that we are the we are behind almost every nefarious thing in the world. But we are so good at pointing, projecting our sin and pointing their finger at everybody else. But yes. we're, we're the ones instigating it. So I want to share another example of, of euthanasia that happened in hospitals during COVID. So we know grace was given, Presidex, lorazepam, morphine. Those, that combination of meds is given to people in hospice care their last day of life. So those are end-of-life meds. Those are euthanasia meds. Wow. So there's a case that we've learned of that is is significantly worse than Grace's. And this is a Down syndrome lady in Connecticut. Her mother contacted us by hearing Grace's story. Her last day on earth was December 8th of 2021. Mm. And the combination of meds she was given was fentanyl, midazolam, and verconium bromide. So people wouldn't be familiar with those, but the mom typed those words into Google. And it kicked back a letter that was written by a doctor, Joel Zivet, that was dated April 6th of 2020. And I did some research on Joel Zivet and found out that he had gone into prison systems to find out how are they taking out inmates with lethal injections. And he was appalled by it. Wow. But he wrote a letter and, and submitted it to all the states that end inmates' lives by lethal injection and requested the meds. Guess what the meds are? Midazolam, verconium bromide, and fentanyl. This lady in Connecticut was given that med combination on December 7th, the day before she died. And this man, along with several other doctors, requested these meds from the state prison system saying, we need them for COVID. This was reported in the news on April 14th, eight days later of 2020. So they're taking out people with death row meds in addition to euthanasia end-of-life meds. So what does the hospital say? What do they say? They obviously can't say, oh, yeah, we just needed the bed or we wanted to kill this patient. What did they say to justify they're trying. Are they trying to help the patient by giving them these three? What did What did they say? I I can't answer that okay. because the hospital. It's all been crickets with Grace's hospital, and I presume the same thing with this lady's hospital in Connecticut. I mean, how what are they going to do? How can you justify something like this? In her case, they also put her on uh, a ventilator and gave her uh, gave her uh, run death as near. So with. With that combination, and she was in the hospital for three weeks, the hospital was in the neighborhood of 750 to a million dollars they made on her death. Wow. So what are they going to say? Are That's gonna, disturbing. Yeah. It, it's hard to grasp. So yes, now, it is. As we, we take this into a lot bigger picture, I want to frame the discussion of euthanasia with COVID as a base. So mm-hmm. very few people understand that we're the number one country in the world with COVID hospital deaths. We have 1.1 million COVID hospital deaths. So you don't want to be number one in that category. But number two, 
So when you look at number two, it really helps frame where the United States is in this agenda. So number two is India with just over 500,000 deaths, so less than half of the United States. India's population is four times that of the United States, and their footprint on the planet is only one-third. So I I set the table with with Mm -hmm. those statistics so people understand. So then the excuse they use, I also want to get this out of the way, is that the people on Medicare and Medicaid, which are the elderly and disabled, which were the number one and number two, quote, causes, end quote, of death, of people who went in the hospital with COVID. That doesn't make sense. Those are not comorbidities. But those two population groups account for 39% of the federal budget. The people mm-hmm. on Medicare and Medicaid account for 39% of the federal budget. So they're using that as the excuse, yep. the financial excuse to take these population groups out. And wow. now, so though you, you have to frame the euthanasia discussion like that. And then we drop into the facts. So on March 23rd of 2010, a significant event happened. That's when Obamacare was passed. And the chief architect for Obamacare was Ezekiel Emanuel. I'm going to read a quote from Ezekiel Emanuel from 1996. Refresh our memories. So he said, services provided to individuals who are irreversibly prevented from being or becoming participating citizens are not basic and should not be guaranteed. So this is the thread with Obamacare. I mean, you can't make this up. So now, weren't, weren't, weren't some, before that was passed, some were warning about, quote, death panels. And they were describing what that meant. And the left and the Democrats were going, oh, that's a big exaggeration. And here we are. It's not an Were they right? Were they right? They were spot on. And I'm going to prove it. And the media said, oh, come on, death panels. That could never happen in America. Right, Scott? And so then the death panels were rejected by Congress in 2018. But the, the table was still set. They never rejected the provision. I'm going to read this. This uh, is, is hard to, is really hard to grasp that this is actually the verbiage. So on page 141, section 1533 of Obamacare, it says that individuals or institutions refusing to participate in assisted suicide, euthanasia, or mercy killing may not be discriminated against by the government. So if you don't participate in those activities, you can't be discriminated against. So they're telling you, we're doing this. Mm -hmm. All right, so then fast forward to just three months ago, the Health and Human Services Secretary unilaterally passed the new death panel law. It became law because during a public health emergency, the Uh human during a public health emergency, the Health and Human Services Secretary has unilateral authority to put in place items that would normally you'd think have to be passed by Congress, but Congress gave the authority to do so. So wow. he put in place an organization called MedCAC that is literally the new death panels, and it was approved by him the day before Thanksgiving and then filed on Thanksgiving. Of course, why then? Because the press is all gone for a Thanksgiving break. So now we have literal death panels. Obamacare approved the death panels, and now they are legally back in place. Wow. Oh, guys, I know some of you are having a hard time absorbing this and processing what we're talking about this morning. Scott and I realize that there are some people who have been paying attention for a long time. God bless you for hanging in there because it does get 
it, it doesn't get any more dis, dis, it does get more disturbing. It doesn't get more surprising because we understand the agenda behind this. But there are some newer listeners, Scott, who are saying, I mean, just let's just use an example. We won't name names, but we got a phone call the last time you were on with us. So actually, we, we replayed one of your podcasts on, on a Wednesday, I believe. And someone called and said, he's lying. He's exaggerating. And I have a nurse that works at whatever hospital, and they would never do that. So I called her back. I said, did you ever ask the nurse if they, if they know about the, what happened with Grace's case, the, the DNR that the family didn't request, the, the Presidex, lorazepam, the morphine, the things that they gave Grace that was a lethal combination that should never be used together? Did you ask her if she knows of any of that? And she didn't. But they called, they're quick to call you a liar. But you've been, not that you need to be, you know, affirmed by anybody, but even recently you spoke to someone who, uh, an article came out, was it Wisconsin Christian News? And they said, no, he's, that can't be the truth. But then they, who did they talk to? And you don't have to name any names, but we just have a minute left. Yes, so I received a call from a reporter from Wisconsin Christian News last week. She had a friend of hers that said, told her when the report came out that I was lying. And then she called her back this last week and said, he's telling the truth. I just found the same thing on my, she's a nurse in a hospital, and she found a DNR on her own dad in the hospital where she's a nurse. And she didn't ask for the DNR? She did not, and she's the power of attorney. This is heavy, guys. Did you hear what he just said? Now, unfortunately, Scott, what we know is some of these medical personnel do not want to come forward. That's the sad part. So they're complicit in this. Maybe they don't agree with what's going on, but they don't want to lose their jobs. Correct. That's a whole. That's this is a Dietrich Bonhoeffer moment, all over again. Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. We've got a whole lot more coming up with Scott Shera when we come back on Stand Up for the Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Scott Shera is our guest. And if you haven't uh, checked out the excellent article over at Harbinger's Daily by Jonathan Brentner, he'll be on with us in a couple weeks again. It's called Worldwide Phenomenon of Sudden Deaths. The level of denial and deception is mind-boggling. And he quotes the uh, Rasmussen Report story in his article where nearly half of Americans think COVID-19 vaccines may be to blame for many unexplained deaths. And more than a quarter of Americans say they know someone that could be among those victims. People are waking up. I think it's a little late. Um, And so let's just jump back into one of the questions I wanted to ask you that you uh, have a great explanation for. How does the Health and Human Services Secretary possibly have so much power in a country like the United States? So I did a paper on this that I released a couple weeks ago, and that's why I know so much information on it. And Catherine Watts is a key contributor to that paper. She's a constitutional law Mm -hmm. expert. And what she did is she strung together all the laws that Congress has passed since 1969 that ultimately gave this authority. Mm -hmm. And it's under the guise of a national health emergency. So the Health and Human Service Secretary has unilateral authority to declare a public health emergency. Once that happens, a sequence of events happens. So 
go all the way back to when the pandemic was announced. The public health emergency then was put in place unilaterally by the Health and Human Services Secretary on January 31st of 2020. So then what happened next is now he has unilateral authority. So on February 4th, so this is just four days later, then he implemented the PREP Act, which is the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act. So what the PREP Act does is give immunity from liability if you follow protocols. So this is where the hospitals have immunity from liability for following remdesivir, uh, ventilator, all the NIH protocols. Mm -hmm. And at that time, the vaccine manufacturers also had immunity from liability under the PREP Act. That has subsequently been transferred to the childhood vaccination schedule. So they have immunity from the 1986 law because of that transfer. So then what happened next is once the PREP Act and the emergency use authorization is in place, now FDA has the authority to, quote, strengthen public health protections, end quote, with emergency use authorizations. So they immediately put in place an emergency use authorization for the use of ventilators. So then the next situation is, well, how did they, you'd wonder, how did they get emergency use authorization for these drugs? Right. So the qualification for remdesivir, and there's other drugs that are in, in this plan that they have, the qualification is this, quote, an EUA may be issued only if the FDA concludes there is no adequate, approved, and available alternative to the product for diagnosing, preventing, or treating the disease or condition, end quote. So then we know ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, those are available. How could they possibly pull this off? I have the links on that that article that I did on Grace's website, it shows they systematically squashed the studies with ivermectin, yep. and then they did an, an illegal study with hydroxychloroquine so they could get remdesivir approved. Wow. And it, it's it's so hard to grasp this. When I saw these things for the first time, it's like, you know, smoking gun after smoking gun. <clears throat> and then the Excuse final me. nail in the literal coffin was the FDA gave emergency use authorization authority to the vaccine bioweapons. Oh and I'm going to call them bioweapons for a specific reason. Mm-hmm. So now at this point, we've got the whole thing ready. So now they can legally, and this was the message I was sharing when I released the article, yeah. legally, the United States government can kill its citizens, legally. Friends, these are strong words, but understand the months and months of research that has gone into this, not just by Scott, but we've got doctors that have come out, and they were at one point being shut down. Um, Anyone who would say something opposite of what the government propaganda and the talking points, the the proper narrative, right? Um, They were either censored, shut down, called an extremist, called a conspiracy theorist. But we have a lot of history and facts now. For example, uh, MIT professor um, Dr. Retsef Levi um, was talking about – he w- called for the immediate suspension of all mRNA injections. And he said the evidence is mounting and indisputable that mRNA vaccines cause serious harm, including death, especially among young people. We have to stop giving them immediately. And so there are doctors that are coming out. The problem is the media will not give both sides. They won't give air to both sides of this. I wouldn't even call it a debate. This is a, this is a life and death 
conversation. And one thing I got from you early on, Scott, is people need to be their own advocate. If you have, if you go into the hospital or if you have a loved one, you better make sure that if there is a situation where they are put on oxygen or a ventilator or something, you, another family member or someone, there's an advocate for that loved one or the hospital will carry on with their protocols and make the decisions for you, correct? It, it's absolutely critical. And I want to share a story that just happened mm-hmm. three months ago. Uh, this was on November 5th. So on November 3rd, I received a phone call from a lady whose disabled brother was in the hospital, and she said, can you help? I said, well, tell me what's going on. And she said, well, my, my uh, brother Robert is disabled. Uh, he just got into a hospital in Green Bay. They said he has COVID. Mm. I said, well, what does he have? And she said he has spinal muscular atrophy. Mm. SMA, she called it. So I didn't know what that was. So she explained it. It's it's a degenerative degenerative disease since birth. Uh, he can't mm. walk. He's fed with a, a tube in his stomach. He's very intelligent. He can talk, but he can't, you know, he needs 24-7 care. Mm. And so I told her over the phone, I said, I'm going to, this is going to sound crazy, uh, but I need to, this is urgent. I mm-hmm. said, they're going to try to kill him. And to my surprise, she listened and so she said, what do I do? I said, you've got to be an advocate. And I'm not talking about an advocate to keep him comfortable right. so that he's not lonely. You need to be there to save his life and yes. protect his life. She said, what do you mean? I said, no DNR, no jabs, uh, no remdesivir, no ventilator. And I said, Are you, do you have a strong enough personality to do that? She said, yes, I do. I said, who's with him now? She <clears> said, my mom. The, her mom is the, and his mom is the 24-7 caregiver. Okay. And I said, what's her personality? And she said, well, she just kind of goes along with things. I said, mm-hmm. well, you need to get there right away. <laughs> so she did. Then she texted me the next day. So this was a Friday mm-hmm. after I was already in bed, 11 p.m. She said he was already given remdesivir. So now this went from urgent <laughs> to emergency. So remember this stuff, I'm sharing this because it's still going on. Yep. Public health emergency three, was- three months ago? Yes. And it was had been re-upped on October 13th, the anniversary of Grace's death. Now it just got re-upped for another 90 days on January 11th. So this is what is happening is in real time, between 500 and 1,000 people are still being murdered in hospitals today under COVID protocols. They're still doing COVID tests because the bonus payments are still in play. Yes. So- now I, because uh, you can't you can't give God enough credit when you see the sequence of events that happen. I mean, He did all this, including people that I've met along the way. So I didn't know anything about hospital rescues, but I sensed I'm going to be in the hospital to help this man. I don't know anything, mm-hmm. so I got a hold of. Uh, Nicole from Truth for Health Foundation, Greta from Protocol Kills, Laura Bartlett, who does hospital rescues, and they all coach me. Laura got me a form, a a medical advocate form. And so now I got to the hospital about 9 o'clock. Well, actually, we should fill in just a little bit of a gap (laughs) there. So between the back and forth of the sister, uh, Robert wanted to get some information on remdesivir. She showed him and she asked him, can you see if Scott will come to the hospital? So she called. I said, I'll be there in a half hour. So when I got there, you cannot be prepared for seeing somebody with SMA. So Robert has SMA. He only weighs 40 pounds. Wow. So you get there. He's already been in the hospital several days. They hadn't bathed him. He's barely alive. Mm. I got in the room, I got down on my knees, hugged him, and we prayed together. And then he looked me in the eye and said, Scott, 
please don't leave. Mm. Oh, Lord. Oh, my. So then we went through the medical advocacy form to make sure he agreed to, you know, we're stopping everything. Yeah. And so we went through line by line. The sister signed off as power of attorney. But before we called the doctor in to share that the gig is up, I got a hold of Peter McCullough. Oh, my goodness. And he said, Scott, I don't have time today. Get a hold of Paul Merrick. So I said, I don't have, I don't have Paul Merrick's. I have his home number, but not his cell phone <clears> number. <throat> Peter McCullough got it to me. Paul Merrick called the room five minutes later and coached us through the combination that we need to inject Robert with to get him revived, the ivermectin, vitamin D, vitamin C, NAC, zinc. So I called Cindy and said, can you bring in all of my stuff from from home so we can wow. help Robert? And she said, wow. how can I do that? They're never going to let me in. So it it's not like that. It wasn't under lockdown like we had when Grace mm-hmm. was there. So she brought everything in. We started giving him the things. We gave him a bath, got him in his chair. Uh, before <clears throat> then, now we have. Now we know what we're supposed to do. So we now we have the meeting with the doctor, and the doctor came in in a spacesuit, you know, to create uh, this fear. Oh, of course. And so then we went through the form. Gosh, he realizes this was that, three months ago. Yes, he realizes the gig is up, and the next time he came in, he didn't have any of the stuff on. Unbelievably, wow. so now we give Robert the concoction that Paul Merrick suggested. Um, the doctor did do one thing to Robert's favor, which is he ordered a budesonide treatment, which is what Paul Merrick suggested. Oh, what is that? That's a uh, uh, inhaled steroid. Okay. And so that got his lungs going. And we literally watched a transformation from a man near dead when I got there at 9 o'clock to by about one thirty in the afternoon. I could tell he was going to make it. Unbelievably, even after we gave the form, a nurse came in to give Robert the flu COVID jab. Oh, my goodness. And we said, no, we're not doing this. We're, we stopped everything. So now the process, we go forward throughout the day, and we, Robert wanted to wait for the second budesonide treatment, which was wise. Once he, you know, he started to come around, and he's a pretty sharp guy, and he said, let's wait for the next budesonide treatment. So I, at least I have two because mm-hmm. they might not give me that prescription when I leave. And he was right. They didn't. Oh my. So when we said, now we're leaving, the doctor would not check him out. They said it's, a, it's AMA against medical advice. So we refused to sign the form for AMA, and then they wouldn't even remove his IVs. So now there was a nurse shift change. This, I mean, you can't, I know, this story, you can't You can't make it up. But Well, to know that it's happening is just so disturbing. It is wrong. Go ahead, Scott. It's, it's totally wrong. But yeah. you can, now when I share this last piece, you can start to get a sense for how much control the cabal has. So now uh, there was a shift change. There was a kind nurse that came in. She was willing to remove the IVs. So now we have Robert. It's nice of her. It's her job. It is her job. But we have Robert all packed up. Everything's ready. And the nurse is in the room. I said, I may never have this opportunity again. So I'd like to ask you a question. I said, "You, you don't have to acknowledge this, but I said, you know, they were trying to kill him. So Robert, just to backfill a bit, he had already been given 
by the time I got there Saturday morning at 9 o'clock, he has already been given three doses of remdesivir. Three doses of remdesivir have a 75% kill rate. Wow. And for his body weight, he only weighed 40 pounds. He was actually given six doses. So I said to her, you know they were going to try to kill him. How could you do this? And she said, and this is really a moment of truth for everybody out there, you know, these hospitals, you have to be, you have to have an advocate there. Yes, yes. Because she said, I'm from the Philippines, and if I don't do what they tell me, I'll be deported. There's her story. And I, you know, yeah. so you, you, you know, you're hearing this and you think, oh my gosh. You know, so she's literally following orders. Following orders is never an excuse for yeah. what is going on. Uh, but this is, this is how much control is taking place yeah. in the hospital systems. And we have to have advocates. Yeah. You know, all of us are going to likely be in a hospital someday in our life. Mm-hmm. And with the euthanasia agenda that I just connected the dots with legally previously, you have to be prepared because you don't know if they're going to put a DNR on you. You don't know if they're going to use med combinations you haven't approved. They've thrown out informed consent. That's also against the law. I mean, these med combinations on grace, we had no idea. You know, uh-huh. so they don't tell you. Mm. The doctor in Robert's case told him you have COVID, but the good news, just think through what the doctor did. He said the good news is we have an antiviral and you'll be fine in three days. Most of my patients are fine and are better in two. That antiviral was remdesivir. So, I mean, there's direct lies for profit going on in the hospital uh-huh. system. And I, it's, it's sad <laughs> that I have to share this. But yep. I cannot be on enough programs to share yep. this because, you know, we don't want Grace's death to be in vain. And here you have a man, Robert. Mm-hmm. He would not be alive if Grace didn't die. Wow. And the family reached out to you because they knew your story. And they've, this Robert is just a fantastic guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the one who found the, the uh, Health and Human Services Secretary's uh, MedCAC document for oh. the new death panels. Wow. He found that helping me research that article. Wow. Oh, Scott, there's, there's just so much. Um, we're in a very interesting place and time in America, in a country with our freedoms, with our Constitution. And yet we see the wickedness of man and the heart of man. And I, I'm not talking about the compliant people who just don't want to lose their job and they're going along with these protocols. I'm talking about the agenda from the top down, from the UN, from the World Economic Forum, to the globalists, uh, the environmentalists, the the leftists in our country um, that are, are pushing this through, the big pharma. It's all about money. And the government, it's all about control. And here we are where people are being manipulated and it's still amazing some of the commercials we're seeing on TV, right? I mean, oh, we'll probably during the Super Bowl, there'll probably be commercials. Get the shot, get vaccinated. And here, let, well, before I get back to you, Scott, I just want to share in this book that, that someone put on my desk, thankfully, Cause Unknown. And by the way, up in Alberta, Canada uh, last year, they had a new number one cause of death. It wasn't uh, heart disease. It wasn't diabetes. Um, it wasn't stroke or cancer. It was unknown causes. 
Did you hear that? I did. Alberta, Canada. So they don't. They tell me they can't figure out what's what this is. They don't want to name it. They've legalized euthanasia. Also, it's called yeah. medical assistance in dying, the MAID program. Yep, yep, MAID. So don't think that's not here. It's just again, I'm trying to explain. We hide it here, and when I want to talk about another case when you yep. come back to me, we talk about that with Tim Stevens, Pastor Tim Stevens. I believe it was early last week we had him back on. Uh, he's from Canada, but anyway, I'm looking through this. It's really sad, but someone took the time and did the research and documented all of these athletes and young people who you did likely did not hear about in the news that died either. I mean, there's people that are dying during games, um, performers dying on stage, uh, some people dying in their death, suddenly dying. I mean, I'm literally looking at, I wish we had a webcam I could show this, Flipping through the pages, Scott can see it. There's just uh, story after story of young people, young men, young women, uh, young moms, athletes. And then there's there's information on how we got to this point. And then there's quotes, people that were quoted as saying, hey, don't worry about it. Get your double vax and get on with your life. And this person that said that died, I believe it was four days later. There's just some things that are so disturbing, friends, but there there is enough evidence there is enough documentation out there. Uh, we've reported on it in many different ways, not extensively, but Children's Health Defense does a great job, and this book happens to be called Cause Unknown, the Epidemic of Sudden Deaths. Go ahead, yes, Cindy and I did a presentation for Children's Health Defense uh, just south of Chicago in mid-December, and the billboards, it was literally 50% of the billboards we're advertising the jab. Yep. And, yep. you know, that is such an egregious thing. You and I were talking off air about, you know, it takes evil to the next level. Yeah. And I want to explain how evil this is. So this story, unfortunately, didn't get the traction it deserves because I Which believe story? this story, this is the Brooke Jackson case. Okay. Brooke Jackson, this is maybe the biggest story of COVID. On January 8th of 2021, she filed a false claims act against Pfizer. This is big time news. She was a a Pfizer employee. She knew they didn't do the adequate testing. So she files a false claims act. Pfizer came back as their defense to say, we didn't have to do any testing because the contract we had with the Department of Defense says we didn't have to do any testing. In fact, we didn't even have to produce a vaccine. We were producing a prototype that didn't require testing. So that was their defense. Wow. Then to, to make matters even worse, on October 4th, so this is just four months ago, the United States government came in. This is called the United States Statement of Interest Supporting Dismissal of the Amended Complaint. So the United States government comes in on October 4th of 2022, so just four months ago, with a motion to dismiss, adding to Pfizer's motion to dismiss. I'm going to quote from that that complaint. I have this on Grace's website. Okay. Uh, It says specifically, in short, the complaint does not plead factual content to support a conclusion that compliance with the clinical trial protocol or regulations was necessary under the contract between Pfizer and the Army. So the the United States government is is saying Pfizer's off the hook because they didn't have to do any testing because this wasn't a vaccine. Technically. Yes, right? this is mind-blowing stuff. So, I mean, is. this is how nefarious this agenda is. Yep. I also want to just say, because I didn't close up the hospital rescue with 
the you know people would wonder how do I get that form you're talking about, oh, Scott? Right, what right. do I do? And on the urgent tab of Grace's website, we have uh, the links to the forms. Ouramazinggrace.net, and uh, I'm looking for the urgent. Ta- there it is. It's urgent tab. Um, yep, hospital rescues. Uh, sh- yeah, okay. So f- uh, we're already down to three minutes now. <laughs> So, Scott, um, just wrap this up however you'd like to. And we, we can't wait so long to have you come back <laughs> in. There's just so much to catch up on always, new developments and the new ways of doing evil as we're seeing, and they're covering it up. Well, I want to wrap up with two things. The first thing is the single most important thing that we could ever talk about, and this is you know, what we have been programmed to believe, and we've been programmed to believe in man and Jesus died, was buried, and rose again on the third day so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And we are hoping by sharing the story not just to save people's physical lives, but to to have this story prick your heart. If you already believe in him, I hope it causes you to uh, become educated and learn more because your your physical life will depend on it. We can't be lazy Christians anymore. We have to do something with our talents that God gave us. And if you're an unbeliever, I, I hope that this story opens your heart. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is my beautiful wife's birthday is today. Oh, God bless you, Cindy. And I uh, because you're not <laughs> supposed to say how old yeah, don't, women don't are. Don't mention any yeah, years or anything. But you can look at me and you have a sense. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and she's older than me. Okay. Oh, my yeah, goodness. She is... doesn't look it. <laughs> oh, thanks, David. I appreciate that. I'm sorry. That. <laughs> that was supposed to be a compliment to her. but uh... <laughs> No, she, she, she reminds me she doesn't look older all the time. And, and so just because people wonder, she's only two months older. Oh, my. <laughs> okay, okay. So thank you for clarifying um, and happy birthday, Cindy. And you, you have two paths on this, the notes that you sent me. We're on God's timeline. No one knows uh, the number of our days other than God. Repentance or destruction. And I think what you are just, you've been wanting from these administrators at the hospital and the people involved is, is repentance. Um, anyway, because otherwise you would have sued them right off the bat. That, that would be the best thing that could happen. Yeah. If, if the doctor— Come clean. If, they would call today. It would be just fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to mention um, I just new development here. Um, most of you know the situation with my wife, uh, Rosanna, and her vaccine injury-related injury, and her, her brain and cognitive issues have become pretty, pretty severe. Um, she doesn't know what day it is. Um, she can go to church and smile and sing the songs and be around people and get stimulated and encouraged. But she just can't do this basic processing in everyday life. She doesn't can't read a calendar, look at a calendar. Um, she is going to be on a podcast with me. We're going to share her story, and I'll ask her questions, and you will hear her response. And I may tear up uh, quite a bit just thinking about it. But she's she's wanting to do that to share her story. Um, by the way, someone just put up a Facebook group for us. It's a private group, but. If you want information on that, let me know. But that's going to be Monday the 20th, two weeks from today. Next week, Elijah Abraham on a Monday. And then my wife, Rosanna Fiorazzo, will be talking with her, sharing her story. And um, what we're trying to do now to still work through this, to detox um, the results of the vaccine. So tomorrow, John Haller. Never a run out of things to talk about with John. We could do three podcasts every time he's on. We'll try to put it in an hour. 
George Carneal Wednesday, Don Stewart of Educating Our World Thursday, Pastor Jeff Solwald Friday this week. God bless you, and as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter. <laughs>